Sometimes an act of forgiveness is nothing short of miraculous. I know sometimes we throw out those words like miracle and apply them to all sorts of things, but I really do mean this. There are some things that are so big and so large and so profound in regards to what's happened to us that the ability to forgive really is nothing short of miraculous. That means at least from our human perspective, what we are capable of doing in terms of ourselves, in terms of our own flesh, our own thinking, our own mind, it just simply is not possible without the supernatural empowerment of God to step in and allow us to offer forgiveness. And so as we continue this Letting Go series and want to talk this morning about forgiving others, I do want to acknowledge from the very beginning that I don't know all of your stories, I don't know all of the details, but I do know that some things are very big. And I do know that there are things that have been, that have been done to us, thing, people who have sinned against us that are so large in scope and magnitude and have had such a profound effect on how we relate to everybody and think about everything that I know as we talk about moving forward and offering forgiveness in those situations, it will require more than just a good sermon and pep talk. It will require the Spirit of God to show up this morning and empower us onto a path of forgiveness. And so I can't promise it will be easy. And nor do I want my tone to come across as flippant or unaware of the things that you've walked through, that you've experienced, and that it might be extremely difficult. But here's the thing. If you have confessed Jesus as Lord and are interested in following after him, what that means is in the end we have no choice but to choose the path of forgiveness. That ultimately when it comes to the reality of people sinning against us and injuring us, we, just, we, we acknowledge immediately, we recognize that people have done things to us and they're big and they're painful. Yet Jesus says, if you're going to really follow after me, you do not have an option to be unforgiving and you do not have an option into bitterness. Your only option in following me will be a path of forgiveness. And I just want you to know this morning as we start that there is no injury in your life and there is no pain, there is no hurt, and there is no injustice that you cannot forgive. Listen to me, I don't want to be flippant and I don't want you to think, I mean, I know, it might be difficult to even hear that in this moment. But the reason why I say this is not because of my confidence in your ability, but because of my confidence in the ability of Jesus to assist you on this path. Already I know that I have spoken to people who have experienced rape, People have been victimized by the murder of a loved one. I have talked to people who have been abandoned by their parents, left by their spouse. People have experienced abuse of all kinds. And I know they're in the room with us this morning. And even still, I want to say forgiveness is a possibility for each of us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. This is where these passages that Paul gives us, like in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And I know we kind of apply that to all sorts of things, from career aspirations, etc. But ain't no time do I think this is more necessary than when we talk about how do you forgive somebody who's done that to me? To which I would say, well, you can't. But Jesus in you can empower you to do all things that he can provide for you, the strength that's necessary to do that. Or what Jesus himself says in Mark 10, 27, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And at the same time, even though I've said everyone will be able to choose a path of forgiveness no matter what has happened, empowered by the Spirit of God, I want to be honest and serious about the psychological and social processes that we live out when we follow the ways of Jesus. And so if I could, for the rest of our time together, just talk about this journey of forgiveness. And the reason why I use the word journey is because for most of us, especially if we... I'm not talking about 
your friends kind of left you out of the party or you didn't get invited to the lunch. I mean, those things in our life that have been profound in terms of effect on us. In fact, I don't want to bring to you great wounding this morning, but I would guess that each one of us has somebody in our life that we know we need to extend forgiveness to. That it could be your ex-spouse, it could be an ex-friend, it could be your parents, it could be a stranger, I don't know, it could be a neighbor, I don't know who it is, but my guess is each one of us has somebody in our life that we know that we kind of are hanging on to things that we need to let go of, that there's areas that we need to extend forgiveness for and have been hesitant, and so I would ask you to bring those things to mind, not in an overwhelming sort of way, but that you might be consciously aware the reality that forgiveness oftentimes is a journey, and what I mean by that is it most likely for that moment, will not, it will not be for you a one-time event. It will not be on May 1st, 2011, I forgave this person, and that's the end of it. I never have to deal with it again. I never have to experience it. My experience in terms of being wounded or having people sin against me or hurt me is it isn't a one-time deal. It's a journey that I begin something maybe on May 1st, 2011, but two weeks from now, I'm still dealing with it, and I have to once again commit myself to this path, and maybe two months from now, I've got to commit myself to this path, but in the end, it's a journey that Jesus can take me on that can bring me to a place of forgiveness. And so let me give you some warning signs and some hints in regards to this journey that I would encourage you this morning, you to take in terms of anything in your life that you've been wounded in or sinned against to to opt for forgiveness. One of the difficulties you're going to have on this journey is people are going to try to push you faster than you can rightfully go. And they're well-meaning. Like there are people who love you and they want what's best for you, but they can't stand to see you in pain and they can't see, stand to see you injured and so they want you to get, over right, get, it, get it over right away. And they'll even say trite things and things that they intend to, you know, like, well, maybe we just shouldn't talk about this, right? You want to talk about what's happened to you because it's part of that process of dealing with it and healing. And they're, they're saying things like, well, let's just not talk about it or you know what you need, you just need to forget it and move on. And I'm telling you, at least when you begin this path, you're not ready to forget it and move on. You still feel the injury. You still feel the pain. And I want to give you permission this morning, if you have been injured and wounded, you can feel it. And those little trite things that people mean well by it are of no consequence or help when they tell you just to get over it. Let's move on faster than you can go. When they say things like, well, you know, that, just, that happens to everyone. Well, no, it doesn't happen to everyone, and the reality is it happened to me, and now I'm stuck with the sin that somebody else committed against me. When they say things like, oh, that happened to you, and then they go on to their own traumatic stories that ever happened to anybody, let me outdo you. Maybe that will make you feel better. You know there's people who suffer. I mean, no, no. There are moments when you begin this path that don't let anyone push you further along than you rightfully can go, that in this moment it just might be for you recognizing No, I really have been wounded, I really have been injured, and I am choosing to begin what is a journey. It won't be a one-time momentary thing, and it's all over. It will be, I'm just starting. And sometimes even good Christians will throw out Scripture like, you know, well, God works all things for good. Well, that's great, but at the moment I can't see it because I'm just at this stage on the journey. Now, that doesn't mean three months from now I won't see it, but at least right now it's hard for me to see it. And the path of forgiveness, let me tell you, it will be different for every person. I mean, there's this, even as I talk about this, there's not one uniform route. It will be different for every person. And for some, for the injuries that are in your mind, for the sin committed against you in your mind, it will be a short journey. I mean, you'll be over this in no time at all. For others of you, we might be talking months here or longer. But what is important is not how long that journey is, but that you've chosen to make it. That you've decided to take the first step on this journey and choose forgiveness as the path you'll be on. So for some 20 minutes from now, it might be over. And for others, just prepare that might be a longer journey. And on this journey, let me say, for most, your first leg might be simply 
naming the injury or naming the sin. And this is important because oftentimes when we have done against us, we don't like to, the reality of it, the scandal of it, the pain of it causes us to want to not talk about it. Sometimes shame could be a part of it. Sometimes guilt can be a part of it. And so I would say the first leg is simply to call it what it is, that sin has a name. If you've been abused, say you've been abused. If you've been molested, then say you've been molested. If it, even if you're just talking to God, name it for what it is. The first step in forgiveness is naming it to say, this is exactly what happened to me, and I don't have to be silent about it. And I don't have to pretend that it's okay or it was okay. I don't need to cover up for my stepdad or my boyfriend or that uncle or that neighbor. I don't need to wonder in silence whether I deserve this or did something to cause this. The very first thing is simply to name it what it is. It has a name. All evil has a name. And this is interesting to me. In the stories of the New Testament, Jesus comes against evil all the time. And one day he comes against a man who's demonized. And the first question Jesus wants to know, the first question he asks is to the demon, what is your name? To which the demon replies, legion, because it's many demons. It's, there's a bunch of them. But Jesus knows evil has a name. And the reason why this is important is because we have a name that's attached to us as well, and it is Jesus. And there is no name that's greater than Jesus. Abuse is not greater than the name of Jesus. Molestation is not greater than the name of Jesus. Affairs are not greater than the name of Jesus. And so the name that we have in Jesus can take authority over all other names that are evil. And I'm telling you, the first step might simply be to start there. That I'm going to begin by taking authority over this, this sin, this evil, in the name of Jesus. And call it what it is. To bring it out in the open. To speak it out loud. And sometimes in opening it up out loud, to sing it out loud, breaks a power and control that it had in your life the entire time. And I don't know what it is about that, but sometimes that secrecy, that pretending, that trying to hide it has a bondage to it. In fact, you see this even in the physical manifest. And in terms of an abuser, when somebody abuses somebody, as soon as the abuse is over, what's their instructions to them almost always? Now, you better not tell anybody. And if you tell somebody, then it's going to be worse, or I'm going to do this, or there's going to be... See, what's happening? We're trying to shroud it in silence again. We're trying to make it so that no one speaks it out loud. And sometimes the first way out of that bondage is, oh, no, I don't have to be silent. I'm going to speak this out loud. And so let me say, if he is abusing you, you need to say that out loud. You need to tell somebody this morning that he is abusing you and get help this morning. You don't need to hide that for him so that he doesn't look bad in front of his friends or so you've got to make some sort of excuses of what those marks are about. Or listen, if they're touching you in this way and you, I mean, you, we could say that out loud and in that there's a time to break the silence and the bondage that comes alongside of that. And we know this to be true on all sorts of levels in terms of sometimes when we just get it out in the open, we can be set free from something. Not only sins that are committed against us, but sins that we ourselves commit. When we try to hide it and cover it up, we wait, we're weighted down by that. But when we confess it as God calls us to, all of a sudden we, become, we can be released from it. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 5 about his own sins. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sap as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and then you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, sometimes just naming it, getting out in the open will break the bondage. But I, it's important that we know that the ways of Jesus never call us to simply accept sin. 
Not in our own life, not in the lives of others as it impacts us. He's never called. When Jesus says turn the other cheek, that does not mean sit in silence in the midst of somebody singing against you. When he says if somebody takes your cloak, offer me your garment as well, that isn't some sort of passive, let's just kind of pretend and cower mode. No, see, in both of those examples, when Jesus turned the other cheek, what it's trying to do is not cower in passivity, but when somebody smacks you in an unjust way and you turn the other cheek and not retaliate in kind, what it does is it highlights and it exaggerates the injustice of what's happening. See, I think this is at the core what Jesus is calling to. It's not be sort of weak and melbatose and you can't defend yourself. It's simply do not retaliate in kind. But when you turn the other cheek, it so highlights the injustice, it brings attention to it. When somebody takes your cloak unjustly, offer them your garment as well because everyone around that's watching this will see the injustice and will highlight it. It's not cower in silence, but it is to speak it out loud. We don't have to tolerate sin in our life or being committed by others against us. And so the first leg of this journey might be to simply call out the hurt and sin for what it is. And I, listen, I know that in itself may be painful that we each have defensive mechanisms that we've kind of adopted and it's different for each of us according to our personalities. So we try to shove those things down and pretend they don't exist. And sometimes even naming it has been for us a reality that we've not wanted to admit in our life. And it can be painful. And so I would highly recommend in those moments, if you've kind of just, you know, let's just put all those things out of our mind. Let's just pretend it didn't exist. Let's not ever say. Sometimes it might mean maybe going to a good counselor to help work through the processes of saying those things out loud. It might be going to a trusted friend or maybe to a support group. I don't know if any of you journal, but sometimes journaling is a very effective way to get out in black and white. These are the things that have gone on in my life and how they've affected me. And then you can end it with, and yet still I will choose a path of forgiveness. Sometimes it's writing a letter. Whoever it is that's in your mind that you know has injured you, has sinned against you, that's had profound effects on your life, it might be writing a letter. And listen, you might, not ever, you might ever send the letter. But it is for you getting out in black and white. This is the reality of what has happened. Because for some of you, the person who came to mind, they've already passed away and gone on to another world. I mean, the reality is you will need to learn in that path how to forgive somebody in which you will not hear, I'm sorry for what I did. Or they might not even be around so you could sit face to face and say, this has been the consequence in my life. They've already, and so it might be for you a letter that you'll never get to send, but it allows you to say out loud, here are the things that have happened. It's interesting to me how quickly we try to downplay an injury. When somebody comes and says they're sorry, you ever notice how quick we want to say, oh, that's okay. I mean, it happens, oh, that's okay. You say, we don't have to say that. It's not okay. What you did was wrong. But I'm going to forgive you. And we're going to go on. Let me give you some warnings about this journey of forgiveness. There'll be plenty of opportunities to get lost. Especially if for you this journey will be a long one. There'll be plenty of opportunities for you to get lost, to find little trails that will lead you to an entirely different place than forgiveness or detours that will derail you. And sometimes you'll head down one of those trails and realize you're lost and you'll need to find your way back. I was an Eagle Scout, thank you very much, even though I'm very directionally challenged. I can't find what exit I got off unless my wife is with me in the car. But one of the things I did learn is if you're ever in the wilderness and get lost, you don't keep going. You stay put with where you're at. You stay there till somebody finds you. If you know where you came from, you might backtrack, but you never just keep wandering around. And so, and it is this path of journey of forgiveness. When you wake up one day and recognize, I think I might have taken a wrong turn somewhere, just stop where you're at. And what you'll depend on that moment is the grace of Jesus to bring you back on that path. Give yourself just as much grace as God gives you grace in these moments. He knows you and he knows your injuries. He knows, he knows what you've suffered and he knows what it's like. I mean, if anybody knows what it's like to unjustly have been su- un- suffer under the hands for something you did not do, I'm telling you, it is our Father through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He'll find your way, He'll help you find your way back onto that path. 
What happens to me most often is that when we're on that path, sometimes you get, you get head down one of those trails, you start to feel pretty good about yourself, you think you've forgiven that person, and I don't know if you ever had this experience where you think to yourself, all right, I've forgiven them, I'm done with it, I don't want to think about it, it's over. And you, then you move on. And then two weeks later, you're in the car and something pops into your head and all that anger and all those emotions and all those things come. Anyone ever happened before? And it's weird. It comes at the oddest time. Like you're in the shower and nothing's going to your mind. And all of a sudden, you're angry. You can't figure out. You're making speeches to people. You're, I mean, and sometimes that happens. When that happens, don't let that make you feel like you have not chosen the path of forgiveness. This is a very natural part of the journey of forgiveness. That when people have wounded you in those sorts of ways or to that profound of effect, Listen, it's going to come to mind. And when it comes to mind, there will be emotions and sentiments and feelings that will accompany it. And when it happens, then you just need to once again say in those moments, I am choosing at this moment a path of forgiveness. And so for you, it might look like this. Today on May 1st, 2011, I am choosing to forgive my ex-husband for what he did to me. And you might walk out of here this morning feeling pretty good. Thinking, I, I feel make a breakthrough. I think I've actually kind of chosen to forgive. And then what's going to happen is two days from now, you're going to get a call from something, and it's going to trigger something, and all of a sudden, you're going to be just as angry as your ex-husband as you have ever been as angry in your entire life. And in that moment, you'll just need to acknowledge what it is and then say, I'm going to choose once again to forgive my ex-husband. And it might be two days later, you've got to do the same thing. But what will happen is eventually, next thing, it'll just be a week later. And then maybe be two weeks later. And it maybe be a, a month later, and then six months later, and the next thing you know, it doesn't come to mind, but every once in a great, great while, and you'll know that you have moved far along this path of forgiveness. But when you start out on that journey, do not be thrown off when those feelings and sentiments come to mind because of what's happened to you. And in those moments, you can still choose, I will forgive. Don't be confused by having seriously forgiven and still feel the pain of that injury. And I think some of that happens because, you ever heard that little saying, you know, forgiving is forgetting? Have you ever heard that? I don't know where we got that. It's not from the Bible, let me tell you that. Because most of the time, forgetting is not forgiving. Forgiving and forgetting are not the same things, nor must I forget something to forgive something. In fact, sometimes the most loving and forgiving thing is not to forget. I mean, how in the world does a woman who's been sexually abused ever forgive if it means somehow that she has to forget the truth of what happened to her? And so what happens is she heaps guilt and shame on herself for the rest of her life because she can't forget it. And because she can't forget it, she thinks somehow she hasn't really forgiven. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And people who try to forget find they cannot. And then they're thrown into greater despair and discouragement. And it's hard enough to forgive, let alone feeling angry over her inability to forget as well. Now, what is true is sometimes forgiveness might lead to forgetting. Sometimes it does happen. When you choose to forgive and you continually walk in that path of forgiveness, you truly will forget. Like, it will go away. It will never come back to mind again. But it's never the means, though, to forgiveness. When we say that we have forgotten or haven't forgotten, it simply means that we will not let their past sin affect how I treat them. To forgive somebody is to say, not that I've forgotten it, but simply to say, I will not ever allow that to treat you differently. And I also need you to know that forgiveness is not a feeling. If I were to ask you in the midst of being injured and wounded and somebody has sinned against you, when it is you feel like forgiving, the answer will be never. I mean, it's rare that you will ever feel like forgiving. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, there's a chance it will never happen. Forgiveness is a choice. It will be a crisis of the will, but it is something we can do. That when we choose to forgive, those feelings may follow 
but it cannot be the initial step in the path of forgiveness. So this morning, I'm not asking you to feel like forgiving. That's why when I ask you to bring into mind what it is that somebody's done to you that you know you need to forgive, I'm not trying to compel you this morning by feelings. Like, oh, don't you feel like forgiving? Because the fact of the matter is if you think about what happened, your answer is no, <laughs> I do not feel like forgiving. And I know that. And so in spite of how you feel, I'm asking you to make a decision of the will to forgive. And if we do that enough times and we get along far enough on this journey and path of forgiveness, there might be a place where those feelings will come along and they will accompany your choice, your conscious choice to forgive. There'll be forks all along the journey. And when you find them, when they're there, you'll have a choice at that moment to either go through the path that continually leads to forgiveness or to choose a path that leads to bitterness. There really are no other options for you. This is not about will you be sinned against, will people injure you. They will. Sin is a reality. And in that moment, you only have two choices, a path of forgiveness or a path of bitterness. One will ultimately lead to your freedom. The other will lead to bondage. This is what Paul says in Romans 6.16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as a master or as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. What this means is if you choose a path of bitterness, and you go down that path, you'll find in the end you will be enslaved to bitterness. And I don't know if you've ever felt this or have seen people have been caught in this, but people who get caught in bondage to bitterness, it changes everything. If you've ever been around somebody who's bitter, like their speech is bitter, the countenance of their face is bitter, everything that they do, every, their perspective and everything, the filter and how they view all of life, all of a sudden changes. I mean, really, even to the countenance of their face because they're becoming enslaved to a very harsh master. And what happens is people who are not in bitterness tend to isolate themselves from the one who is bitter. They kind of, and, and you know who replaces that? Friends who are bitter. And I see this even happening in the church. I mean, you get somebody who's bitter, and who's around them? People who are also bitter about different things, and they kind of help each other in their bitterness to stay bitter. And it's just kind of, they're always kind of agitating each other and trying to work themselves up, and there's all sorts of things. And the decisions you will begin to make will be born out of bitterness, and it will destroy you and everyone around you that you love. And the master of bitterness will justify all of your actions for you until it's too late. And you'll see your speech and demeanor will change, and everyone around you will see it but few will have the courage to honestly say, we think there's bitterness. This is why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 15, he says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And so it might be this morning an examination of your heart. See, do I, is there bitterness there? And listen, I, I'm not saying what happened wasn't, I mean, it happened. And for some it was big. I, I'm not saying that. Don't, don't hear that. I'm just simply saying, if there's bitterness there, it will manifest in a way that will overwhelm and enslave you. Paul will also say in Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. That if we choose a path of forgiveness, it will lead to freedom. And so just pay attention in your own mind and your own actions. Sometimes somebody hurts you and they don't even know it. Like you ever had this experience somebody's kind of injured you and they don't even realize what they did and you don't want to say anything? And so you think, well, I'll just get over it. Like, I feel better in the morning. And you wake up in the morning, you're not over it. And then you think, well, I'll just, I'll just give some time. And then a week goes by and you're still not over it. And next thing you know, you're still mulling over in your head what they did and, and how it hurts your feelings. And you can see that starting to affect your relationship. Like, now you start avoiding each other. Like, they go to the 930 service, so you're here at the 1130 service, right? You saw them walk in the double door, so you walked in the single door. And this stuff happens. You, they went out to their car, so you hang around the lobby a little bit longer until they're gone. You hide them from your Facebook friend list or defriend them all together. I mean, those are the things that I'm talking about, right? 
Then a month later, they discover, hey, you defriended me, and you've got to make up some excuses and why they, because you never got right. Those are the things to pay attention to those signs of what it is that's taking place in your heart and mind, whether it, it might be small. It could be just a little bitter root. But in that, we need to contend with it immediately because when it grows, it will be bad. Because when you're really upset, you know this, right? When you're upset with somebody and angry with somebody and become bitter with somebody, there's nothing they can say or do that's going to be okay. I mean, everything they say was going to irritate you, and everything they do is going to annoy you to no end. That's how it works in terms of bitterness. And so in that, and in the body of Christ, there are real, there are real physical manifestations of gossip and negativity and division. There is power in bitterness. It has the power, much like a cancer, to continue to grow, to consume, and to kill. And nobody probably knows this better than Ann Coleman. If anyone has a reason to be angry and bitter, it's Ann Coleman for what happened in her life. She tells her story. She says this, When my daughter Frances was murdered in 1985, I was devastated. I received a phone call from my niece in Los Angeles, and she said, Frances is dead. She's been shot. I can't remember screaming, but I did. I made plans to go out to California immediately, and on the plane, I really thought I could kill someone. If I'd had a weapon and the murderer, I probably would have done just that. By the time I got off the plane, I was getting concerned about how I was going to tell my son, greet my son Daniel, who was flying in from Hawaii. Daniel was an army sergeant, and he's trained to kill. When we got to the police station the next morning, the only thing they told us was that my daughter was dead and that everything else was none of our business. And sadly, that remained the case throughout the day's we stayed in Los Angeles. The violent crimes coordinator told me that if they hadn't arrested someone in four days, I shouldn't expect an arrest. He said, we just have too many homicides in this precinct. We spend only four days on homicides. This enraged my son Daniel. When he found out that the police department was really not interested in finding his sister's killer, he wanted to go buy an Uzi and mow people down. They hadn't really prepared us for what we would see when we picked up her car from the pound. Francis had bled to death in her car. The bullets had passed through her aorta, her heart, her both lungs. She had choked on her own blood. She died early on a Sunday morning, and we picked up the car late Tuesday afternoon, and it stank. That smell never left Daniel's mind, and he wanted vengeance in the worst way. He really wanted someone to do something, some kind of justice for his sister. Over the next two and a half years, I saw Daniel go downhill and then I stood alongside his sister's grave to watch him being lowered into the grave because he had finally taken revenge on himself. And I saw what hatred does. It takes the ultimate toll on one's mind and body. It's not to say that what happened to this family isn't wrong. It is, and it's big, and it's profound, and it changes everything. No Christmas will ever be the same again. And in that moment, it will take a supernatural miracle from God himself to be able to say, forgive. Because the other option is devastating. And sometimes they just start out as small grudges, and it just is the beginning, but then it grows over time into something that's destructive. George McDonald said, it may be infinitely worse to refuse to forgive than to murder. Because the latter may be an impulse of a moment of heat whereas the former is a cold and deliberate choice of the heart. There's only one thing that delivers us from the darkness of bitterness, and that is forgiveness. Christoph Arnold said, Forgiveness is necessary simply because both victim and victimizer are prisoners in a shared darkness until someone opens the door. Forgiveness is the only way out, and even if our adversary chooses to remain in the darkness, that should not hold back us. If we leave the door open for him, he may even 
follow us into the light. To forgive someone is to become free, and it has the power to set others free. It has the power to let others free to be a new person. This is what we talked about last week. We can't begin until we recognize that we ourselves have been forgiven from much. And that is from the posture that we were able to forgive others. And so this week, as we talk about letting go of anger and resentment and bitterness, it's not to say those things aren't real and didn't happen. It's simply to say, if we're going to be serious about following Jesus, we're going to have to choose a path of forgiveness. And I know that's much easier said than done. And this path will for us most likely be a journey. Lots of twists and turns and possibilities for detours and forks in the road. But empowered by the Spirit of God, it is possible to continue to take another step forward in forgiveness. So this morning, let me challenge you to commit to the path. Even if, just, even if all you do this morning is commit to, I'm going to choose to forgive this person and begin this journey. No matter how long the journey might be, we're making a conscious decision this morning to get on it. To be conscious of what leg in the journey you're on. And it might be for you naming the pain and the sin. It might begin to understand what is and what forgiveness isn't. So we don't think we've arrived when we haven't or when we have. And then sell ourselves short because of misunderstanding what forgiveness is. We might be more aware of bitterness and how it might really take effect in our heart. So your next step might be naming the pain with God. Or having a conversation with someone maybe even an email or a letter, maybe simply repenting of bitterness. Or it might be for you just beginning this walk with Jesus and saying, I'm going to confess him as Lord this morning, and from that posture, receive the empowerment I need. Neil Anderson says this, forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. Forgiveness is costly. You pay the price of the evil you forgive. You're going to live with those consequences whether you want to or not. Your only choice is whether you will do so in the bitterness of unforgiveness or the freedom of forgiveness. This morning, I hope you'll choose forgiveness. I know this is heavy. I I much prefer the funny Sam than the it's all serious Sam. But I recognize for many of us, we are not able to step into the abundant life Jesus calls us to is precisely because we're hanging on to things that God doesn't want us to hang on to. That some of us are missing out on that joy that Jesus, is prom- that Jesus promises because we're trying to walk with him. We're bar- burdened down by things he's trying to take from us. And so this morning, I hope that we'll be able to have the confidence and the courage simply to say, I'm letting go of this now. I don't need to carry this anymore. So let's stand together. Let's pray. And as we pray, I, again, let me just bring to mind what it is that you know you need to forgive. Just go ahead and bring it to, bring it to your heart and bring it to your mind. Whatever person it is, and for whatever it was that they did to you. Now let's ask God to give us freedom. Father, we come to you and thank you that you are a God who has forgiven us of much. And so, even before we move on to forgive others, we want for just a moment to catch a revelation of truly how much you have forgiven us for all the things that we have done and all the sins that we have committed, not only against you, but against others. Big things and serious things things that will have lasting marks. And Lord, let us just drink in from you the grace that's necessary to know that you have forgiven us of all of those things. And may it also serve as incentive and empowerment then to turn and to forgive others that have injured us and have sinned against us. So Lord, I'm asking right now because I do believe sometimes it requires a miracle from you to extend forgiveness. Would you this morning give us that miracle? I pray for the names who are in our mind, And in our heart, the things that we remember, the things that are in our heart, 
that have changed us in some way, would you allow us to forgive? Even if it might be this morning just saying that we choose to forgive this very specific thing and we want to begin this path and this journey of forgiveness. So we ask that you empower us on this journey. And I ask that you give us, Father, just protection on this journey. You would point the right directions. When we come to forks in the road, you'd make it very clear which way to head. And I ask, Lord, that when there are even moments where we walk backwards or we get lost or seeds of bitterness start to affect our heart and our life, would you give us warning signs, Lord, that we might see it clearly. And in the end, Lord, we look forward to the day when we have finished this journey of forgiveness and come to a place where we know and feel that we have forgiven and in that we might be ushered into your abundant life, that you grant to us freedom. This is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name.